In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. Hope everybody's having a beautiful day. Hope the sun is shining. I have been trying to get this show off the air for a few days. Had a little run-in with our good friend called Severe Hydrate, Severe Dehydration. So excuse me if I cough a little bit or I got some dark circles under my eyes. Back in action, though, and excited to get to this. I want to introduce this particular podcast by talking about the title of the podcast is the uh, psychedelics in the treatment of unipolar and bipolar depression but i put an emphasis on bipolar because that is a sort of mental illness that has fascinated me i grew up with a family member who was in who has mental illness i grew up with a lot of mental illness in my family if you're like me you become a very interesting person because the people in your family are very interesting. And I got to see firsthand what it's like to live with someone who suffers from bipolar disease. I've seen the mania, I've seen the depression, I've seen the destruction, and I have seen the person struggle incredibly hard with their life. And so it's been something that's always fascinated with me. I think it's important to say, I'm not a doctor by any means. I'm gonna go through this article. I'm gonna give my opinion on some things. But my opinion is just that. It's just an opinion. I've read quite extensively uh, from like the DSM-5. Um, I've spoken to lots of different people. And I've grew up with people who've had this particular disease. So I hope you'll enjoy going through this article with me. I'm just going to read through some parts, give some ideas about it. And my heart goes out to anybody who has, suffers with bipolar disorder or has been in a family that has it or is affected by it. And my thought is that potentially we can find some solutions to this particular mental illness. And so here we go. Psychedelics in the treatment of unipolar and bipolar depression. Several studies investigating the antidepressant effects of classic psychedelics, including LSD, psilocybin, and mescaline were performed in the 50s to the 70s. 
These studies did not typically follow a double blind and placebo control design. That's because there's really no way to do that. If you take psychedelics, it's pretty easy to find out who's on them and who has the placebo. Thus, the overall efficacy in reducing depressive symptoms by 80%, giant number, in a total of over 420 patients, there's a key number there, should be interpreted carefully, rather as a positive signal than as robust clinical evidence. The international ban on psychedelics also ended clinical research with these molecules until the current revival in the 2000s. Soon, also clinical studies using psychedelics and psychiatric conditions with effective symptoms were initiated. In one of the first such investigations, the effective of a single dose of psilocybin as an adjunct to psychotherapy was tested on anxiety and depression in 29 patients with cancer. This particular study, it seems to me, is beginning to work with people at the end of life. So it's not actually bipolar, but you can imagine someone who is going through a terminal case of cancer or finding themselves on the cusp or knocking on heaven's door, you know, you, you begin to have some pretty big questions. So that's where it kind of began. <clears throat> In this double blind study with an active placebo controlled crossover design using niacin, which is an interesting placebo, right? They're going to use niacin, which gives you the body flush. Psilocybin led to a clinically significant Significant reduction, which was still measurable in 60 to 80% of the patients at the 6.5 month follow up. I want everyone just to think about that for a minute. If you take something and you still have a measurable result in 60 to 80% of the people after a half a year at a one time use, do you think that that's better than something you have to take every single day? I don't know. But it does seem like an incredible st stat. And I think that that is why there's so much going on in the world of psychedelics and medicine. You're beginning to see these incredible stats, like 60 to 80%. It's pretty impressive. The authors identified the psilocybin-induced mystical experience as a main mediator of the therapeutic effect. Weakness of the study were functional unblinding due to obvious psychedelic effects, right? We kind of covered that there. And so, and a small non-representative sample, both of which are typical for this phase of clinical psychedelic studies. In another study with 51 terminally ill cancer patients, a high dose of psilocybin compared to the placebo-like low dose of psilocybin also led to a decrease of depressed mood and anxiety with about 80% of patients. I'm going to skip down here to another part that I think is really relevant. <clears throat> Just bear with me here. We're getting to it. Okay, here we go, and okay, so here we go. Unfortunately, systematic studies are still limited to unipolar depressed patients as patients with bipolar disorder 
have been excluded from recent psychedelic trials due to safety concerns. The concerns stem mostly from qualitative user reports and case studies, which documented the occurrence of switches to mania after ingestion of psychedelics. So I want to read some of these case studies of psychedelics being a trigger for mania, and then I'm going to give some, some thoughts on that. One case study of a 20-year-old woman described the occurrence of psychotic mania about 36 hours after a single ingestion of psilocybin-containing mushrooms, which could be stabilized first with lithium and apropozole, and which was later successfully switched to lamotrigine due to adverse effects. The patient had a positive family history of bipolar disorder, father and paternal grandmother, and was suffering depression and PTSD, but was unmedicated at the time of the episode. Okay, so I want everyone to think about this particular case study, and we're going to get into more of them, but you're going to see a pattern here. The case studies claim that the psychedelic was a trigger for the mania, but I want you to see in here all these other things that the person had. They were suffering from PTSD. They had depression. You know, they were unmedicated at the time. So, it doesn't seem to me that this particular, and, and again, I'm not a doctor, it's just my opinion, but it doesn't seem like these actually tell us that psychedelics were a trigger for the mania. Let's go to the next case study. Ayahuasca and DMT were also reported to induce mania with psychotic features in patients with bipolar disorder or a positive family history of bipolar disorder. A 40-year-old male psychiatrist with known bipolar disorder. He had one single previous manic episode. So, again, we're relying on someone else's diagnosis of his bipolar disorder. And I'm not sure how they diagnosed one single previous manic episode. He was hospitalized with mania and psychosis after self-medicating for depression. He took up to one gram daily of vaporized DMT for six months and then added the MAO inhibitor, phenylzine, three weeks before the hospitalization. Wow, those are some pretty big doses, right? And then you add in the MAO inhibitor, which is going to allow the... It's going to allow for less deterioration of the psychoactive substance. Again, he was given lithium and a dosage of palpatine, clonazepam. Wow, this guy was on some deep stuff. Okay, let's go to the next case study here. Another 25-year-old male with known bipolar disorder and history of cannabis abuse was hospitalized with mania with psychotic features, which occurred two days after ayahuasca ingestion. Remission was achieved with a combination of vinpertol, olazepam, and lorazepam. So... I want you guys, do you guys see the, the sort of pattern that's happening here? Another 25-year-old male with known bipolar disorder and history of cannabis use was hospitalized with mania with psychotic features. But it seems to me, oh, let me get this cat out of the way. Come here, buddy. You sit over here. Okay. It seems to me that... It's not these particular psychoactive substances that are the trigger. It seems to me that a lot of the people may be using these for self-medication and then going into the hospital when they have an episode. What we don't see in here, 
when I look at all these different case studies, what we don't see is the we don't see the other things that are afflicted with. We don't know all of the other variables in the equation. But this particular article, to me at least, is making it sound like these particular psychoactive substances are the trigger for the bipolar disorder. Now, I know that in my family and in other cases I've read, alcohol, other drugs can be the trigger. So I think that what people... Uh, what, what research can be done that would really help is figuring out what exactly is happening in the brain. And where we go from there, like we understand that the activation of the 2A receptor is something that happens with all psychedelic substances or the majority of them. We're seeing an increase in neurotransmitters. But I think that that's also what's happening in the brain of someone who's in a manic state. You know, it's almost like someone in a mania is already experiencing a flood of neurotransmitters, already experiencing like a dopamine high or a adrenaline high. And so it's, it's just very difficult to say that the psychedelic substance are the trigger for that. They may be, I don't know, but my idea, and it's just an idea, is that if we had a study with people that have bipolar and they were willing to use psychedelics as a potential medication. And I realized the reason there's not these studies is because it is dangerous. It is particularly something that could be a trigger. Although I don't know, I don't, I don't think it's a trigger, but it's easy for me to say I'm not a doctor. I think that maybe if these psychedelic substances are a trigger, then that's just the beginning phase of it. What we should be studying is maybe the psychoactive substance is the beginning of balancing out the bipolar disorder because we're seeing increased functionality. We're seeing increased connection in the brain. So wouldn't it make sense that if the psychoactive substances are making greater connections, the first step is probably going to be a manic episode. It's probably going to link up all the centers of the brain in a way that the brain is used to functioning in a manic episode when it's that way. And if, if you think about, think about it like this. For those people who have been familiar with the psychedelic environment, you begin to understand that the come up, whether it's through psilocybin or LSD or MDMA, they have this sort of come up period to them. And once you've done it enough, you realize that the come up period is a shifting in brain patterns. And you begin to see in the first hour, you begin to see yourself thinking differently. You begin to start seeing your environment differently. So someone who's bipolar, when they take the psychedelic substance, their brain is going to switch over to a different mode of thinking, a different mode of functioning. And that might be the default mode they turn to in a manic state. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, great, George. What happens when they turn back into a depressive state? Well, I think that the psychedelic substances, if, if we could measure them, my hypothesis would be that in the first few courses, like let's say you did a psychedelic dose, maybe the best way to do it would be, a, and I'm just spitballing here, is if you did one dose a month, and like, let's say you did like a five gram dose 
you take the first five gram dose, that may induce someone into a sort of manic state. What you would look for is what is the regression back to the normal state of the bipolar person? What is the regression to the depressive state? Is that manic state that was triggered by a psychedelic substance, is that going to trigger a depressive state faster? Is it going to trigger a depressive state longer? Or is there something that we can measure in there to see it? I think what you would probably begin to see after a three to six month course of psychedelic therapy with integration would be a balancing out of the mania and the depression. I think it would stabilize it, especially when we look at the way in which integration and psychedelic therapy is happening with PTSD. You know, I think that on some levels, PTSD is lighting up the depressive centers or choking off the ability to make connections the same way depression and bipolar people is. We would, you would definitely need some, you would need an amazing lab with some amazing doctors. And these are just all my hypotheses. But I think that if you can see what's happening in the brain of people with PTSD and psychedelic therapy, I think that you could use that same sort of information you learn from there. You, and there's been tons of studies on PTSD and psychedelic substances. I think that you could take that information and apply it to people that have the bipolar disorder. Because I think what you're seeing in the brain, at least in the depressive times, is that actual depressive depressive point, right? And so let's talk about how – I want to also talk about how integration with psychedelics, PTSD, could possibly present an alternative therapy for people with bipolar disorder. And I realize, again, I realize I'm not a doctor and I realize the insurance claims to do something like this would be bananas. But just think about someone who, if you know someone who has bipolar disorder, you can talk to them when they're in a mania and you can talk to them when they're in a depressive state and they're like two different people. But I think if you could talk to someone who has bipolar disorder and you can catch them on the third hour of a psilocybin trip I think you could talk to both parts of the brain. I think you could talk to someone who is somewhat balanced out at that point in time. You would need brain scans to do it, and you could see what parts of the brain are lighting up. Now, that set and setting may be a little bit of an issue for someone who has this disease, but I think it's totally doable. And I think you can measure brain activity, and then you could have that conversation with that person. And once you could get that person, once you could have a, co a coherent conversation with someone someone who is in between a manic state and a depressive state, I think you could begin to build a bridge right there. And you could begin to get that person to become aware of, hey, this is how I feel when I have mania. This is how I feel when I'm depressive. Hey, here's the way the people around me are affected by it. And I think that would be a very valid part of integration is getting the person to understand how the people around them are reacting when they're in their different states because that can be a variable that they use to understand where they're at in their feelings. That could be a variable they could use to understand where they are in their thought process. We do it all as someone who doesn't have bipolar disorder. You and I do it all day long by looking at the looks on other people's faces, by looking at the facial cues, by looking at 
the way in which the crowd reacts to us or the individual words react to us, or better yet, the way our words affect other people. If you look at someone who is on, who has, is in the midst of a mania or a manic episode, the language they use is, it's either incredibly flowery, dreamy rhetoric about potential things that may happen, but probably never would happen, but it's so captivating. It's so, it's almost immeasurable in its scope of possibilities. It's, it's, it's this beautiful dream that is so passionate, you're pulled into it. And then on the flip side of that, in the depressive state, it's usually no words at all. But I think the people that find themselves in the midst of a manic episode could really benefit from understanding the cues around them. And I think that could be accomplished with the psychedelic integration. I think that and let me give you guys a foundation for why I'm saying the things that I have. I grew up in a household where my father was suffers bipolar. And the manic episodes that happened were at times the most tremendous, amazing, flowery rhetoric. And it was like sitting down and listening to a Barack Obama speech about hope and change. Like the possibilities of what was about to happen in our lives was mesmerizing. One minute I'm getting ready to go to a ribbon cutting ceremony in Gibraltar for a new startup and the whole world is watching. And it's amazing to a kid who's nine or 10 years to be told these fantastic ideas and the amount of details that flourish with these ideas. In some ways, I wish everybody could experience a speech of that nature. I wish that people could experience the, the form, the cadence, the all-around feeling. Because someone who's in a manic episode, it's infectious. You want to be around it in a weird sort of way. And so that's the foundation for some of the ideas I'm giving in this particular idea about psychedelic substances and, and the use of psychedelics. I have noticed in people that I have spoken with, I have noticed in case studies that I've read, and I've noticed in myself almost a form of mania that happens when you're on psychedelics. It's the, you know, it's it's what Mercier Eliade calls the terror before the sacred. It's this almost godlike feeling of being connected to the world. And I think that that feeling that sort of divine beauty that rises up from the interior of your soul at the height of a psychedelic experience may be the closest thing someone who doesn't have bipolar disorder, that might be the closest you can get to experiencing the mania. And if that's true, the mechanisms of action that are happening in the brain could be very similar. And so I think that that in itself is worth potentially studying. I think that finding out the brain patterns when someone's at the height of a psychedelic experience could be used and extrapolated to find out what's happening in a the brain of a person who's in a manic episode. And if you can come it kind of brings back the idea of maybe people who are treating people with bipolar episodes should go through the closest thing to a manic episode. And that might be the height of a psychedelic experience. 
I know I'm kind of bird walking here, but this is just me trying to figure out, you know, what is going on with people I love that have bipolar disease. How might that be mediated by a psychedelic experience and kind of combining the two of them? But let me get back to the idea of integration, because I think someone who has bipolar disorder would greatly benefit from a psychotherapist who has themselves found or been through the height of a psychedelic experience. I think that would give them insight into that person's brain. It may not allow them to feel what that person feels, but I think it would provide more than empathy. You know what I mean by that? More than empathy is not just putting yourself in someone's shoes, but putting yourself in someone's position in a heightened state of awareness. There's a difference there. And I think that the height of a psychedelic experience provides that for them, especially if someone who has bipolar were to able, maybe they started off with a micro dose or maybe they started off with something like that. I, I really think that the integration that could be done between a psychotherapist who's experienced psychedelics, someone who has bipolar disorder and has a psychedelic experience, I think that one could find a bridge there. I think there could be common ground for both people to move forward and understand what's happening in the brain and you know, being aware of what's happening. Even if it's just the beginning of a conversation, I think that that blazes the trail for someone who has bipolar disorder to begin walking down. Now, there's definitely other medicines. People, most people who have bipolar disorder are, you know, sometimes taking lithium, which is, in my opinion, a, a horrible thing to take. But there's definitely a series of, you know, different medicin medications people are taking, which would have to be thought about, which would have to be laid out and figured out if there's any sort of you know, contracations or something like that. But it's an interesting. It's a very, to me, it's fascinating. It's interesting. And it encompasses all the different ideas of social processing, mindfulness and acceptance, emotional processing, psychological adverse effects. But I guess one of my goals of trying to get this particular piece out there is I think it would benefit people. And I realize that the studies are not being done for insurance reasons. I understand the studies are not being done because it could potentially make things worse. But the truth is, doing nothing is still making a decision. And doing nothing is a huge problem for people with mental illness. And I think there's people out there that would volunteer for the program. I think that liability could, in some ways, be done away with, with a waiver. And I think that there's a lot of people that would be willing to step up and go through this process. And in my opinion, the people that need psychedelic therapy most are kind of the people that we're not allowing into the studies. And I think it may come down to money, it may come down to insurance, and it may come down to liability. But I, I'm hopeful that we can get people that need the treatment partnered up with really good people who are willing to work with them. Because I think that that's what's missing. In some ways, I think that this psychedelic emergence, this next wave of psychedelics, if you will, has the potential to help the people that need it most, but we have to have the courage to help those people. And so I'm excited to see this new wave coming out. I'm excited to see some different types of practitioners out there. And I'm excited to see the courage of the people who have mental illness stepping forward and seeking out the therapy that they need.
So that's what I got for today on this particular set of um, bipolar disorder and psychedelics. I'm probably going to do some look into it. Uh, it. This has been helpful for me. Um, I hope I hope it's helpful for other people, and I really encourage other people to get out there and understand the mental illness that you may have, the mental illness that may be in your family, and do everything you can to try to help people around you that may be suffering. And remember, everybody you meet is suffering or fighting a battle that you have no idea about. So be nice to them. All right? That's all I got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.